0: From the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God.
1: Our New Testament reading comes from Galatians 3, 1-14. Please turn with me in your Pew Bible to page 177 of the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from this from from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by, doing your, by, doing, by your doing the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard, just as Abraham Believe, er, believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel before to Abraham, saying, "All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you." For this reason, those who believed are blessed with Abraham, who believed. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all things written in the book of the law. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For that one who is righteousness will live by faith, And the law, but the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us for the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Jesus Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit throughout faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thanks,
0: Beatrice. (laughs) Thank you, Beatrice. We are uh, in a sermon series in the book of Galatians, Paul letter, Paul's letter, rather, to the churches uh, in Galatia. We're taking a very sort of slow-paced walk uh, through the entirety of this letter, reflecting verse by verse uh, throughout the summertime. And I want to just give a little bit of a precursor here, because the text that Beatrice read for us uh, this morning uh, is sort of the setup for Chris Holmes's sermon next Sunday. So I encourage you to make sure you listen to that. Uh, this is just sort of what philosophers call the prolegomena—it's the stuff you say before you say the stuff you are going to say. And so uh, this stuff is really just setting up uh, Paul's argument as to what God is doing through Christ and in the birth of the church in creating a brand new family, A family that's not defined by race or ethnic lines. A family that's not defined by national identities, by borders or boundaries. But that God is is doing a new thing. And you'll hear more about that uh, next week. And because there's a lot of different ways that we could take this particular text. There's a lot of uh, rich theological uh, word in this particular passage. I'm going to focus specifically on Paul's um, Paul's desire to elevate Abraham, uh, Paul's desire to Abra- elevate Abraham rather, and and talk about the connection, uh, the long connection between God's call to Abraham and what God was doing in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And my hope is, is by the end of uh, the sermon, as we think about this long arc between Abraham. Uh, and Jesus, that we'll have something uh, to take with us out in the world, something of an encouragement for our own faith and our life as we seek to humbly follow Jesus Christ. For that, let us turn to God in prayer. Lord, break open uh, this word afresh to us this day so that we would be changed, we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space or who tuned in remotely for worship, that in some way we would be encouraged to a deeper trust, to a deeper faith in you. We pray that boldly, especially as we know what we're living in and what we're living through. Would you do such a thing? By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in your grace. Amen. One of my favorite films of all time is a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen it. For those who are unfamiliar with the film, it's actually based off of a short story by horror writer Stephen King. Some of you didn't know that, but it's based off of a short story that he wrote many years ago. The uh, plot line is about a man named Andy Dufresne who is arrested and tried and convicted of a double murder. Uh, He's innocent of this crime. It was somebody else. But but he nonetheless has been found guilty and he's been sentenced to two consecutive life sentences in a prison prison called Shawshank in Maine. And one thing that becomes apparent toward the end of the film is that Dufresne, who's played by the great actor Tim Robbins, uh, Dufresne had schemed up an elaborate and intricate plan to escape and free himself from prison. Now here's a spoiler alert, and I have to give this spoiler alert because I'm going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but it won't make sense for the illustration that I'm trying to use here for the sermon. Toward the end of the film, the viewer realizes, and, and somewhat surprisingly, that Dufrain, for 19 years, for 19 years was working on a prison break. 19 years. It wasn't just a a quick thought. It wasn't just some dynamite blowing off the the, the prison door. He had a plan that would take him 19 years to finally execute it. Every night for 19 years, he slowly and methodically chipped away at a plaster wall in his cell block, and every morning he would take the the, the remnants of the plaster, and and he would put it in his pocket, and he'd walk out to the yard, and he'd slowly and discreetly dump it out, and no one noticed 19 years, 19 years every night, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And when finally the surprise of the escape comes to the viewer, you recognize, at least I did, the incredible patience and discipline of this character. And you juxtapose that with what we experience in today's world, a world of instant gratification where I want everything right now. I want my internet to work faster. I want my food delivery to to come more quickly. I want to get healthier in, in a faster way. Everything needs to be now, now, now. You have a story like this, even though it's fiction, a story like this that that reminds us that sometimes it takes the long game. Sometimes it takes the long game, little by little, handful by handful, inch by inch, digging his way to freedom. The story is about the long game. I want to suggest to you this morning, church, that I think God is the God of the long game. I think God is the God of the long game. I think God's work to liberate and free humanity from fear and death. I think God's work to liberate and free humanity from existential crisis of, of alienation from God and alienation from ourselves and alienation from our neighbor. I think that work, that work of salvation, that work of reconciliation, that work of restoration, that work of sanctification, that work of God is a long, long game. Paul says as much, I think, in Galatians chapter 3. In this section of the letter, he uh, elevates intentionally the patriarch Abraham. And many of us from our Sunday school days or our personal Bible reading know the story of Abraham. We know that he shows up in the pages of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Specifically in chapter 12 of Genesis, we hear God call Abraham. And it goes something like this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land, I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this may not seem... To be the case, but what Paul was doing here was quite radical because what he was doing was he was connecting the story of Jesus Christ to the story that God had been telling for generations upon generations. A story that God began to tell in the divine and sovereign election of Abraham to be the father of all nations to be the father of the the people of God. And what Paul is saying here is quite radical in his context. He's saying that the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel itself was actually being proclaimed to and through Abraham. That's a radical claim to connect this good news of Jesus Christ all the way back, all the way back to this patriarch known as Abraham. Abraham. What Paul is trying to say to the church in Galatia is that that if you want to understand what God has done in Christ, you have to first understand what God has done with Abraham and what God has done with with the people of God. Now, this may sound simplistic, and I know you all know this to be true, but it's important to remember that chronologically speaking, Abraham precedes Moses. Okay, you all nod your heads like you know that you knew that, right? Yeah. Abraham precedes Moses. And, and this isn't just a matter of chronology. It's not just a matter of history. I think it's a matter of great theological import. The invitation of faith throughout the scriptures, the invitation to trust, the invitation to believe always precedes the invitation to obey. Election and grace precedes law. That's why Paul is focusing so hard. Don't justify yourselves by your obedience to the law because that isn't the first order of things. The first order of things is God's call upon your life, God's declaration like we just did for Roberta, God's declaration that I love you, you're my own trust in me. That is the first invitation. Faith is the first invitation it precedes the invitation to ethics it precedes the invitation to obedience it it precedes the invitation to piety the first act of faith is trust trust Abraham that I'm gonna do what I said I was gonna do The promises of God will not be fulfilled by our own hands, by our own work. That's what Paul is saying. The fulfillment doesn't come through works righteousness. It doesn't come through our piety or our obedience or our ideologies. It comes through the work of God, God's self. What God is doing in our lives and what God has done in Jesus Christ. This is why it's sort of tangential. But but why I, I get uncomfortable when Christians talk about building the kingdom of God, that that somehow our call is to build the kingdom of God. The scriptures are clear. The building of the kingdom of God is God's work. It's not the church's work. In fact, if you go back to the gospels and Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more than anything in the New Testament, and every time he talks about the kingdom of God, he uses language of enter and receive, not build. Build. Enter and receive because God is doing something. God is building something. God is up to something. And we respond in trust to what God is doing. And only then does our work come into play. It's a response to what God is already doing. The promise in Galatians 3 that God would bless all the families of the earth, Jews and Gentiles alike, is received by faith through Abraham, and it reaches its pinnacle in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. It's like an exploding star. It it presses on with with the coming of the Holy Spirit and with the, the work of the church to bear witness to what God has promised. To bear witness to what God has promised. That's part of what we're supposed to do in our faith and life together is to bear witness to what God has spoken, what God has promised, what God is working to usher in. Many scholars believe that there's about 40 generations between Abraham and Jesus. I mean, just think about that. If you were going to do an Ancestry.com lineage thing, I mean, think of how many records that is. 40 generations between Abraham and Jesus. And in between those 40 generations, we have a story. We, we have a, a, a narrative in, in, in Scripture about life and about death. And, and in that story we we have hardship and we have pain. And, and in that story of 40 generations, we have bondage and slavery and occupation and oppression. We have exile and homecoming. We have uh, sin and forgiveness. We have prophetic words and we have silence. In those 40 generations or so, we had hope and hopelessness. In those 40 generations, we had violence and love and, and peace and exclusion and uncertainty and, and fear All of this between the generations. And what what Paul is saying, and I don't want us to miss this, because this will help set up the takeaway for our own faith in life. In those 40 generations, God was working. In those 40 generations, in that long game, in that long arc of history, God was working to fulfill the promises God had made to Abraham Paul declares that God was working out God's plan of salvation. That's what he's saying here. That this story is a long game story. That God was playing a long game of liberation and freedom. Chipping away, chipping away, chipping away at the wall that divides us and God. That divides ourselves and divides one another. Now here's why I think this is really, really really good news because if you're anything like me you find yourself living in this in-between time in this in-between space I've preached about this in in some different ways uh, than I am today but but thematically it's 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 the same that that we live in this space between God's promise and the fulfillment of that promise That we live in between. Abraham represents the, the promise, and Jesus represents the fulfillment, and our life is lived in between. Knowing that God has spoken, and yet things are not complete, things are not all right, things are not all just. Fulfillment hasn't completely come, and we're invited to live in that space. And it is precisely there I want to offer. It's precisely there where we are called to trust. We're called to trust. That what God said God would do, God is going to do. And it may not seem like it, it may not feel like it, but that God is a God who keeps God's promises. That God is doing a long game. And And for us in a world that is so used to the instant and the immediate, it it really challenges our faith to to lean into this idea that I'm suggesting that, that we continue to wait and trust that God will be God. Friends, I think this is is good news that God is part of the long game, is is working the long game because it reminds us that God's not done with us. It reminds us that God is in our midst in the same way God was working through the people between Abraham and Jesus. God is still working in us and through us. And I think about our own congregation. I just think about some of the stories that, that I'm privy to. This space that many of us are living in between this space of promise and this space of fulfillment. I I, I hear it in the cries of the spouse who continues to care for their partner living with dementia, who no longer recognizes them. But that person trusts that, that God's promises are true that one day their beloved will know once more. Even as they are fully known. It's in the long season of fear that has immobilized some of us where we come to the place where we're going to trust the promises of Scripture that God's love casts out all fear. And we may not have gotten there yet, but but we trust that that's, that's going to happen in our time. We trust that God's going to make a way. It's in the long season of loneliness where we trust that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And even though we feel alone, we, we trust that, that we'll know in a fuller way God's presence in the midst of that loneliness and isolation. It's in the extended period of grief when we regularly and consistently pray, how long, oh Lord, how long am I going to have to sing this song? Trusting in the promise that though mourning will last through the night joy comes at the break of day it's in that time when we feel as if we're we're useless or invisible or unwanted but we trust in God's word through the psalmist that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we're longing for that to be actualized and realized in the very depths of our soul seasons where we're always angry some of us are just always angry, and our anger just bleeds on everybody we come in contact with, especially those we're closest with, and we're just getting to the place where we're saying, God, I trust you that you can heal the woundedness of my life so that this anger may subside. It's in this space between that Abraham was called to trust it's in the space between that we're called to keep the faith. And I know that line sounds trite and I know it's overused, but, but I think that's partly what Paul is, is saying here. Don't, don't get distracted by other things. Keep the faith because God is in it for the long haul. God is about the long game. Katie and I uh, recently went on an overseas trip. And and, and one thing that, um, a moment of transparency I get really shaken up, not claustrophobia, but I get really shaken up, literally and sort of emotionally, with turbulence. I hate turbulence. Anybody dislike turbulence? The feeling of being out of control, and you can bring me as many Coca-Cola products as you want. I still am uneasy and unsettled by turbulence, and so, you know, there's times when you're taking an overseas flight where you're trying to sleep and all of a sudden the, the, the plane starts to shake and you realize that, that you can't do anything about it, right? And despite what we saw a couple of weeks ago when, a, when some guy who never flew a plane before was able to land a little Cessna, some of you saw that, I don't think I could do that with, a, with an Airbus 330. Like, I'm pretty sure that I could not do that. And, you know, when you take a trip like that, you know, you start with a promise, Right? A promise that the pilot is gonna take you from Atlanta to Barcelona. A promise that, that the pilot is gonna do their very best to, to, to deliver you to that fulfillment, to to that end. And what happens in between in so many ways is outside of our control. But right, you get on that plane and, and deep down inside, I'm working on this more, but deep down inside I trust the pilot. I trust the pilot is going to fulfill their promise to get me from here to there. And I think that's a great analogy. And for some of us, it's not like an eight-hour plane ride. It's like an eight-month season or an eight-year season or, or maybe even an 80-year season. where We feel like we're in this in-between time. And what the Spirit is inviting us to do is to trust that God will be faithful Trust that God will supply us with the Holy Spirit, that God will even work miracles in our lives, that God will give us what we need to remain faithful and to sustain us in the seasons between promise and fulfillment. Because here's the truth of the day. God is the God of the long game. Amen.